Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning at the Oasis. We're glad to have you. 1 Samuel 24 this morning is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel 24. While you're finding that, just a couple of announcements. This coming Saturday, December the 2nd, 8.30 in the morning, if you can help us to get up Christmas decorations around the church, we would greatly appreciate that. We'll have you out of here by noontime. So that's 8.30, Saturday, December the 2nd. Men, women, young people, families, whoever can show up to help, we would love to have your help this coming Saturday. And then the following Thursday, December the 7th, uh, the ladies are having their Christmas fellowship, dinner, whatever you want to call it. Gals, last year was sort of the high water mark after 14 years. I think they had in the mid-60s as far as gals coming out. So far, we have almost 90 women signed up. So I'm just asking, will 10 of you show up so we can make it an even 100, you know? <laughs> just if you've been thinking about it, praying about it, whatever, just Sign up today, get out there, Thursday, December the 7th. Marsha, what time does it start? It starts at 6. Starts at 6 o'clock. And they'll have all the information. You need to see one of the women's ministry leaders. They've had the announcements up on the screen. Get out that night, December the 7th. It's going to be a great, great evening. All right, we are continuing our series on David the worshiping warrior of God. And we come to 1 Samuel 24. I've entitled this chapter, A Tested Heart. Because the Bible tells us in many places, but specifically I'll give you Proverbs 17:3, that it tells us God tests the human heart. God tests our hearts. Not that he needs to see what's in our heart, but to show us what's in our heart at any given time. It is a proving, if you will, of what's there and what's not there. And David has come to a place in his life, running for his life from Saul, where God is going to put him in a situation in a circumstance that's going to test David's heart. Remember, the Bible tells us David is a man after God's own heart, but that was a process. And God has been shaping David's heart throughout his life. And so when we come to 1 Samuel 24, we have a very interesting chapter before us that I'd like to dive into this morning. You will see that really what God is doing here with David is this. Three questions. David, will you run ahead of my plan for your life? David, will you look to me at all times for what is the right thing to do? And will you trust me to be faithful? God, in a sense, is always going to be asking all of us those questions. In every circumstance and situation, will we trust God's timing and his plan? 
Will we look to God continually for what to do in every situation? And will we trust the faithfulness of our God? Notice it says in chapter 24, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, they told him, look, David is in the desert of En Gedi. People were always giving up David and where his hiding places were. But what I want to point out to you and I this morning is this. And I wouldn't just say this because I'm the pastor of a church called the Oasis. En Gedi was a literal and figurative oasis for David. It was this really cool place. In fact, you see it there in verse 2 where it was a refuge. It was in the region of the rocks of the mountain goat. So it was... It was up into the mountains, if you will, into the recesses where David could safely hide. But the cool thing about En Gedi was there was also waterfalls there and there were date palms there. It was literally this oasis, but it was high up in the mountains. And it was a perfect place then for David to hide from Saul because, again, it provided safety, but it also provided for him a place of, of nourishment and, and, and a, a place of rest and, and renewal. And listen, folks, I'm not just saying this because I'm the pastor of a church called the Oasis because it doesn't matter. All of us need an oasis because all of us are going to go through desert experiences in our life. And even when we're not in desert experiences, we need places in our life that are spiritual oases for us, places of refreshment and renewal and, and, and rest and refuge. We all need those places. Hopefully, this local church is one of those places for you that you can find those things, but all of us need to find our oases in our life. And David found one in En Gedi. It, it becomes one of the strategic places in David's life throughout his life. But notice in verse 3 he came to the sheepfolds, Saul, because Saul in verse 2 took 3,000 select men, crack troops, to go and hunt for David in order to kill him. And he happens to just come into the cave where David and his men were located. What do you think are the chances of that? Do you think that was just coincidence? And notice the Bible says, hey, we're talking about human stuff here. Saul had to go in and relieve himself. Every human being has to go to the bathroom at some time or another, even the king. And by the way, in those days, it was... A huge thing, in order to keep the camp where the soldiers were sanitary, you did not relieve yourself anywhere in the camp. Everybody was required to go outside the camp. So here's the King Saul. He's after David, but he's got to do a very human thing. He's got to go to the bathroom. And he happens to choose the cave where David is at. Can you imagine out of all the caves in this region, Saul chooses to, to go in to this particular cave. Well, let's see what happens. David and his men, verse 3, were sitting there in the recesses of the cave. Can you imagine what David thought as he sees Saul 
walk into that cave, the guy who's been trying to murder him and get rid of him? David's men, notice what they say to him in verse 4. David, this is the day about which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand and you can do to him whatever seems appropriate to you. David, God is handing Saul to you on a silver platter. Let's go get him. Something very important is happening here that we need to talk about this morning because we live in a very experiential, circumstantial culture, even amongst us as Christians. Many times we interpret God's will by our circumstances. And we're going to see that that's not how God wants us to navigate life. You see, David's men misunderstood and misinterpreted the circumstances. In fact, they were using the circumstances to put words in God's mouth because God nowhere ever said what his men are saying God said to David. Nowhere. Nowhere you will find God saying that. But because the circumstances Look like, oh my goodness, look at how it's all fallen out. Out of all the caves, God, because he's in control, he's sovereign, and he is, he has brought Saul right into your lair, David. Here he is. Go get him. We must be very careful and cautious, exceedingly cautious, in how we interpret our circumstances in life, or other people's circumstances, especially with what God supposedly wants us to do for this reason. And I'll just give you a couple of examples from Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9 and verse 12, here's what Paul says to us. We know in part and we prophesy in part. Then in verse 12, he says, because now in this life we look into a mirror indirectly. But then, meaning when we get to heaven in glory, then and only then will we be able to see face to face. Now we know in part, but then and only then will we know fully. So, what Paul is saying there, what we're learning here is that we have to be very careful because none of us, in any circumstance that we go through, in any situation that we go through, we don't know the whole of it. And we're never going to know the whole of it. That's why we've got to be very careful when we give advice and counsel and think we've got this down. We know exactly what's happening and what God is doing. Really? Because my Bible tells me none of us knows fully what's going on on this side of heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. All we know at this point is part of the story. As I've shared with you many times before, one of the great illustrations I think we could use, a visual that you can keep in your mind at all times, is an iceberg. 
That's about as good as it gets for us. We see just a little bit of what's above the water, but there is so much of that iceberg, the majority of it, that is below the water that we do not see. So we have to then not rely on our circumstances to try to interpret or understand what is God's will. That's very dangerous. And yet I hear and see Christians doing that all the time in their life. Well, if God didn't want this, then he wouldn't have laid this out for me. Look at how all this has worked out. And I'll even take it from a positive standpoint. I have shared with you before, just because God made you aware of a need doesn't mean God is holding you responsible to meet that need, you see. So then how do we interpret or understand our circumstances? Through Scripture and through the Spirit of God who lives within us as a Christian. That's the only way we're going to be accurate. Because if we try to piece together the circumstances of our life, as we're going to see here, then his men were right. David, look what God did. God brought Saul right there into the cave with you. He's yours. Go get him. Notice, verse 4, David got up and quietly, exercising spirit-enabled restraint, cut off an edge of Saul's robe while he was relieving himself. He was there. I mean, he was right there. And yet he just cut off an edge. And yet even that, notice what happens to David. Even though he only cut off an edge of Saul's robe, afterward it says in verse 5, David's conscience bothered him. Literally in the Hebrew, his heart struck him. Why? Because God was shaping a man after his own heart. And a man after his own heart, a woman after God's own heart, is going to have a sensitive heart and a very tender conscience. And David began to realize that he shouldn't have even cut off the edge of Saul's robe because in that way, that was dishonoring to the Lord's anointed. See, from David's viewpoint, even though Saul considered David his enemy, David never considered Saul his enemy. And David always looked at Saul as the Lord's anointed. And so he felt bad about what he had done. And notice, he feels now, as the leader of all these people, that he has a teachable moment before him, and he wants to set a good example. So notice, after he cuts off the edge of Saul's robe, and then it bothers him, notice what he says. May the Lord, verse 6, keep me away from doing such a thing to my Lord, who is the Lord's chosen one by extending my hand against him. After all, he is the Lord's chosen one. In other words, David is saying, since God is the one who put Saul in this position as king over Israel, David would wait on the Lord to remove him. That was not David's prerogative. That is God's prerogative. And David, up to this point, has had no leading of God. 
that God's will is for David to take out Saul if he gets the opportunity. Unlike what his men are interpreting the circumstance to be, David says, no, no, no. God has not led me to take out Saul. So notice, David, verse 7, restrained his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. So Saul then leaves the cave and starts down the road. What an amazing story, right? Well, it doesn't end there. Notice afterward, David got up, went out of the cave, called out after Saul and says, My Lord, O king, when Saul looked behind him, David kneeled down and bowed with his face to the ground. Let's stop there for a moment. Because my goodness, I think we all need this lesson today, especially in the world in which we live. And can I say, especially when I think about the fact that about a year from now, we're going to have another election, that in this political even climate, and, and climate that we have in our country, boy, do we need to get back to what David is doing here. What's he doing? Well, he's showing respect for God's appointed authority. See, David feels bad about dishonoring the one that God has put there or allowed to be in that appointed authority over him. And so notice David's humility here. And so David's respect for God is actually expressed in his respect for God's appointed authority. Listen, David doesn't like what Saul is or what Saul's doing. This is a man who's trying to kill him. He's not saying that Saul is doing things right. He's honoring, though, the fact that this is God's appointed authority over him. And until God removes him or takes him out, he's going to treat this man with respect, out of his respect for God. Folks, you know why today, one of the reasons why our society is crumbling from the inside out, because we have lost respect and honor for God's appointed authorities in the home, in the church, and in our government. I don't care whether we agree with them or not. We have got to, as Christians, set a better example to those around us. We might not like who's in authority right now over us or who will be someday, but we have got to get back to following the example of David, that they are God's appointed authority, and therefore we should not slander them, we should not treat them disrespectfully, we should not dishonor them in any way, because by dishonoring and disrespecting God's appointed authority, at whatever level of society we find them, we are ultimately disrespecting God. And David said, I will not disrespect my God by disrespecting the one who God has put in this place. Wow. 
And can I say, all of our political people, and they need to hear that as well. Because if there are leaders on both sides of the aisle and even the independents, they're not setting a good example at all because all I hear is vitriol and, and hate and, and slander and disrespect on both sides. Christians, we need to be different. Different. Notice David says to Saul in verse 9, why do you pay attention to what men are saying? There's a good lesson for all of us. Are we, you know, and, and I love the fact that David was strong enough in his God that when all 600 of his men were saying, yes, kill Saul, David had this inner strength to say, no, that's not what God wants. That's not who God wants me to be. Do we have the strength when everyone else around us is saying yes, we can say no if that's what God wants? David did. Notice verse 10. David says, today your own eyes saw, Saul, how the Lord delivered you this very day into my hands in that cave. And some even told me to kill you, but I had pity on you and said, I will not extend my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's chosen one. Remember, I started out this chapter by saying this is all about God testing the heart of David. Why? Because God did give David an opportunity that day. But it wasn't an opportunity to seek revenge against Saul. It wasn't an opportunity to kill Saul. It was an opportunity to show Saul mercy. That was the opportunity God gave him. And that's why you and I have to always be tracking with God and be filled with his spirit like we even sung about. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Because if we're not following the promptings of the Holy Spirit in us, we can, like David's men, we can begin to misunderstand and misinterpret the circumstances we find ourselves in. We can say, well, God, that you wouldn't have done this or laid this out for me as if you didn't want me to do this. I mean, I've heard that all my life. And I've even been guilty of it at times in my life. When I'm interpreting the will of God based solely upon my circumstances rather than what on the scriptures say and what the Spirit's telling me. And any time that we do that, we're going to go down the wrong path. Notice David says, verse 12, may the Lord judge between the two of us. And then David says this, verse 13. It's like the old proverb says, from evil people, evil proceeds. In other words, our actions reveal our hearts and passions at all times. Our actions, and Jesus said this. It's not what goes into a person that defiles him. It's what? It's what comes out. It's what comes from the heart. Jesus taught the very same thing. But notice what David says. My hand, verse 13, will not be against you. David never called Saul his enemy, even though Saul looked at David as his enemy. David never raised a hand against Saul. You want to talk about him? See, God wanted to use all these experiences that David was going through to literally 
pull out of him anything that even remotely looked like a Saul. Because when he finally allowed David to ascend the throne and sit on the throne of Israel, he didn't want David to be anything like Saul was. He wanted him to be totally different. Totally different. Verse 14, David accuses even Saul of living foolishly, squandering the opportunities and resources as the king of Israel. He says, who has the king of Israel come out after? Who is this you're pursuing, a dead dog, a single flea? (laughs) Again, may the Lord be our judge and arbiter. David is saying, look, I'm not even your enemy. I'm I'm not out to get you. So you're the king. You have this very unique power and position and privilege as the king of Israel. And there's so many things externally that our country needs right now and so many things that our country needs right now internally and yet you're wasting your time and energy and effort on pursuing me when you've got all these other needs of the nations that are way more important than what I am? That's, that's a challenge and convicting thought as well. Sometimes are we pursuing things in our life that really show that we're squandering more important opportunities and greater priorities because we get caught up in something lesser than what is greater? And that's really what David is accusing Saul of. Saul, you've got this unique opportunity right now in your life as the king of Israel, and you're wasting your time chasing after me up here in these caves? Don't you realize, Saul, one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of your life and you're going to give an account of chasing after someone that was not even a threat to you? That's how you're going to, you know, use your precious few years on earth to do? It's an important point. Well, Verse 16, when David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is that your voice, my son, David? And then Saul wept loudly, and he basically says to David, David, you're a better and bigger man than I am. You've treated me better than I've treated you. And then even in verse 20, Saul knew in his heart that his days as kings, as king over Israel were numbered. Because he says, I realize that you will, in fact, be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So all Saul asks of David is, David, will you simply look out after my relatives and not punish them for my sin and take it out on them? And David does. He does promise that to Saul, and he does take care of Saul's ancestry. David promised him, verse 22, with an oath. And then notice, you see these two men who are on different paths in their life, right? Saul goes to his house, and David and his men went back to his stronghold. They're not only on two different paths, but do you notice something else here? Just because Saul wept loudly and and basically said to David, David, you're a better and bigger man than I am, David doesn't foolishly just go back. And trust Saul. Trust has to be earned. And it's a good thing David didn't. 
because we're going to see later on, Saul does try to take his life again. Because he's that person that we all know of, and maybe we've been like this, where we, we keep apologizing for our bad behavior, but it never really changes. And we can even shed tears over wishing we would treat you know, a situation differently or people differently. Or it's, it's like an, the addict who always says, you know, I'll change, I'll change. Or the person who, you know, d- beats up their spouse or whatever. And, and every time they strike their spouse, they say, oh, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. And then a week later, they turn right around and do the very same behavior. That's Saul. Because Saul is a great example of someone who's trying to reform his own behavior rather than allowing God to transform him. And only transformation is something that can truly be sustained. Otherwise, you, just, you and I just keep going back to the same old thing we get stuck with. So David, and, and this is why I share with people, listen, you can forgive somebody for how they've treated you, but that doesn't mean God expects you to trust them again. You don't have to put yourself right back in that same situation because trust has to be earned. And Saul has not earned David's trust and never will. What is going on here? Well, obviously, the Lord tested David's heart. He gave David Saul on a silver platter that day in that cave. Saul, obviously, was even vulnerable. He was relieving himself. There would have been nothing. David could have chopped his head off. That would have been it. But God wanted to test David's heart. You see, in all of this, we see that David is learning to both wait on the Lord and wait for the Lord. To look to the Lord for what is right in that situation. And God did not want him to take Saul's life. God was testing David to see, David, will you trust my timing and my plan for when I remove Saul and I put you on the throne. David, will you trust me to be faithful to you? Because we all know we're right there with David. Sometimes in our life, it's so hard to wait. And I can imagine there were times where David thought, man, how many years Has it been since Samuel the prophet anointed me to be the king of Israel? And I keep having to wait. But he had to keep reminding himself that through the waiting, David was growing. And there was purpose in the waiting. Because God was using all of this time in David's life to remove any kind of vestiges that might be there that would be like Saul. Because when David finally ascended the throne, God wanted to put there a man after his own heart. Somebody totally different than Saul. I want to share with you, too, at this point, the verse I would like you to memorize and meditate on that is an illustration of what's going on here. It actually comes from the book of Romans. Chapter 12, verse 21. Here's what Paul says to us. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's exactly what David did here in this chapter to Saul. Saul was giving him evil, and David was repaying him with good. That is the supernatural, Christ-like, divine way to live life as a follower of God. That's the way God wants us to live. Listen, there's three different ways you and I can live our life. Three different ways. There's the demonic way. What's the demonic way of living life? When I'm given good, I repay good with evil. That's demonic. When we receive good and give evil back, that's demonic. Then there's the human way of living life, the earthly way, the way most human beings live life on the planet. What's that way? Well, I repay good with good, but I repay evil with evil. That's the way most people live their life. But God calls us to a higher standard as his people. God says, I want you to be different. I want you to be the kind of people that when you're given evil by others, you repay them with good. And the only way you and I can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's supernatural. Because again, God wants us to live on a different plane than the rest of the people around us. God wants us, like he did David, to be an example to all those other men when all of his soldiers around him were saying, David, look at what God's given you. Here comes your enemy walking into the cave. He's vulnerable. He's relieving himself. You have your moment here. And David says, nope. That's not what this is about. Yes, this is an opportunity, but this is not an opportunity for me to kill Saul or take revenge against my enemy. This is an opportunity for me to show mercy to my enemy. A tested heart. A tested heart. You see, if we don't look to God continually in our life, we, like David's men in that cave, will misunderstand and misinterpret our circumstances. Because we will use our circumstances alone to determine God's will. And we have to realize, as God's people, that just because God in his sovereignty puts these circumstances together, maybe God's doing something else in these circumstances. Maybe this is a test. Maybe this isn't an opportunity for me to do something on a human level. Maybe this is something God is giving me an opportunity to do on a supernatural level. Again, we must be very careful, extremely careful and cautious about interpreting our circumstances as God's will. Because here on this side of heaven, we simply know a part. 
we do not know the whole. And that's why God gave us his word, and that's why God gave us his spirit. Because those are the things that need to guide our conclusions and our choices and our decisions every day so that we can rise above the way everyone around us is living on this lowly, earthly, fleshly level and show people around us there's a better way. There's a bigger way. There's a supernatural way that allows us to live on a higher plane. But we need to look to the Lord. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. And as they're coming, I'd like to ask you to stand with me and we'll close our message in prayer. God, as we've already sung about, we so need you. Lord, we can be so flawed in our conclusions, in our interpretations, and in our understandings as human beings. We think sometimes we know the whole situation, the whole circumstance. And yet, God, your word teaches us all we know is a part of it. We won't know the full picture until we get to heaven one day. But then we will know fully. Then we will see you face to face. So in the meantime, God, would you help us, God, to follow your spirit and follow your word and to look to you each and every moment of our lives so that we know what to do and when to do it, to trust you, God, to trust your timing and your plan and your faithfulness, to continually look to you for what is the right thing to do. God, thank you for using this young man's life even thousands of years later to be a great example and challenge for us today. Again, it's just another reminder of how the Bible is such a supernatural book because it's just as relevant. Its message is just as relevant today as it was during David's lifetime. And I pray, God, that all of us would be willing to be your instruments in this day and age. That we would not live on a demonic level repaying good with evil, or even on just a human level, repaying good for good and evil for evil, but God, that we would live on a divine level, on your level, and repay evil with good. Lord, thank you for being such an amazing God. Lord, may we dedicate ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.